This is the Skies Blue Podcast. Well, hello again. Sky is blue once more, so another podcast. It's been a busy time since the last one. All sorts of things happened, mainly on the park. Extensions of the contract, loans received by the football club from Sport England, and of course an extension of the contract of the manager James Rowe. And we've got a special guest tonight. Well, we've got a guest, uh, uh, Liam Northcliffe from uh, the Derbyshire Times, to join me, Phil Tooley, Paul Fisher, Daryl Carpenter, and Stuart Basson. So, uh, well, welcome, Liam. Uh, I, I don't think we're the, the first podcast to manage to acquire your services, but hey, you'll remember this one. I can. Uh, <laughs> I can only imagine that your your other uh, ten guests must have been busy tonight before you came to me. But uh, thanks for having me. Well, you, you'll be able to count yourself uh, honoured because I don't think we ever invited Graham Smith on. So you know, clearly, clearly, this is a big coup for you at the Derbyshire Times. I'll take that. I'll take that, and I'll let him know. <laughs> Yeah, mainly because that Northern Irish accent, we don't think most listeners would be able to understand, you know. So. <laughs> anyway, it's it's that long ago. We've had eight games since, which has uh, brought about a positive result for one side or the other on every occasion. And as somebody pointed out on Bob's board that I saw the other day, the last nine games, there's only been one team scored. There's been a clean sheet by one or the other every time. It's quite an unusual run of statistics. And the matches. Uh, have been the in Altrincham, uh, that 1-0 win, away at Stockport, defeat, Eastleigh win, Yeovil win, Maiden and Sutton defeats, Barnet and Aldershot wins to clean sheets. Uh, so in terms of the football, first off, uh, Liam, do you think that the 3-4-2-1, two twin number 10s system that we saw at Eastleigh, Yeovil, Maidenhead and Sutton, do you think James Rose put that to bed at least for the time being? Um, I don't think so, no. Um, I think long term, that is the way that he would like to play, which is, is quite different from what we're used to seeing, in my opinion. Sort of the, the two number 10s and the two defensive midfielders sort of creating a box in midfield, if you like. Um, obviously, we've seen a three-pronged attack before, but sort of the two withdrawn number 10s is something that, I've certainly uh, not sort of seen uh, recently. Um, so I think long term, going forward, that probably is the way that he would like to play because he wants to dominate the ball, as, as we know. Um, but he seems to have reverted back to two up top uh, in the last sort of week or so. And uh, it's got results. That just as the, uh, the two attacking midfielders did as well, um, obviously, nobody was talking about the uh, the formation when they were passing Eastley off the park and uh, demolishing Yeovil uh, in the second half. It only sort of was questioned when uh, those defeats to uh, to Maidenhead etc came about. So, um, but for now, he's short term. I think he'll stick with the two up top, but long term, I think the two number 10s is the way that he would like to play. And that Maidenhead uh, defeat, it looked to me, uh, from watching it on the, the screen, it, it looked all about fatigue. They just looked as though they'd run out of steam and a lot of people weren't quite on the game. You were there at the match. Is that is that how you viewed it as well? 
Uh, yeah, in a way, um, I would say that Maidenhead were just a very well-organised, disciplined team. Um, they were they were very awkward, I would say, and they sort of cancelled out Chesterfield's play. Um, and it was a sloped pitch. It was windy. They had Nathan Blitzick up front, who was brilliant at holding the ball up in the wind. Um, and as I said at the time, I felt that um, Chesterfield that day really did miss Tom Denton, who of course is out for the rest of the season. Um, for me personally, watching the game at the time, you could see quite early on that it wasn't going to be a game for tippy-tapping it around in midfield. It was a game of getting it out with feet and, and getting it down the channels. Um, so it, it didn't go to work, but it didn't go to plan, but well, given the form that we've been in, we can we can let them have a, a day off, if you like. <laughs> and as when when particularly that Maidenhead game, and to a, a lesser degree the Sutton game, when you looked at the statistics and you'd not seen the play, there was nothing in either game at all, was there? There were and Chesterfield just slightly edged quite a few of the statistics in in both the games, but Sutton was just two good teams, very very close to call. But Maidenhead, you know, uh, um, a two-nil probably was a fair result at the at the end of the day, does? Yeah, Maidenhead struck me as solid all part two. Um, I just thought we got out and out by a Premier League team who were on the day physically stronger than us, played the conditions better than us, uh, no quality to it per se. Um, but we we did look leggy to me, Phil. I, I, I got the same sort of feeling. Uh, I think he also made a mistake uh, in bringing in Evans back at, at Maidenhead. Um, to me, Kerr coming in has shown how limited Evans is. Uh, and I'm sure there was a degree of loyalty. And also he wanted to rest Kerr. Did he not mention he didn't think Kerr could play three in a week or something at the time? So Yeah, uh, he, he said that at the, uh, at the time. But to be honest, he's had the most miraculous from a season-ending injury. I've ever seen him in, <laughs> quite, quite fit in one way or another. And, and the wonderful thing about the Maidenhead thing, I, I was doing my reports on BBC Radio Sheffield, watching it the opposite way around to Liam, I assume. And uh, it's the first time in my life I've ever used the word uh, um, ferro-equinologists, which uh, um, is a fancy American word for train spotters, because on the first report, <laughs> when nothing had happened, there'd been about six trains go past. So I sort of said, it's not a game for the football purists, but the ferro-equinologists will love it. And one assumes that the derivation of the word ferro-iron, equinologist horses, is your old American iron horses. So uh, I, I doubt I'll ever use the word ever again apart from in an Odd Sky is Blue podcast or, or something <laughs> on those lines. On that two number tens, Paul, if, mm-hmm. uh, if, if you were the manager and thought that was the way to go forward, who would, and, and assume everybody's fit, who would your two number tens from the current squad be? Well, I'd probably have Whelan and Mandeville, to be fair. Uh, I think they tend to slot, uh, they're both quite attacking, although Whelan can come back uh, at times to help out defensively. But I would have Whelan and Mandeville Um Mandeville to me has been quite uh, quite unlucky and at times you can see why he flatters to deceive as well is that he puts on uh, a lot of performances that are not quite at 100% but you know he, he, 
he tries to work hard and get there, you know. So you wonder whether he's a sort of super sub that you, you want to bring on. He's made 16 sub appearances this season, you know, in all in all competitions. He only started nine, but, you know, he's yet to get that goal, really, to get to get going. But, you know, he can be the sort of supply line, really, I think. But it, that number 10 role is his ideal position. Um, of course, there's Joe Rowley as well, isn't there, to come into it. But I just think that Mandeville and, and Whelan have got a little bit more now than Joe at this moment in time. Um, yeah, I'd probably go with those two. Uh, but then again, I'd probably if if, if he's going to go down the two number tens, find those two. But I much prefer two up top. And, and by that, Paul, I assume you prefer to see Jack Clark in what James Rowe refers to as the number eight position, which links the defensive midfielders with the attack, because yeah. his running with the ball perhaps wouldn't be perfectly suited to an out and out number ten week in week out. No, I think he's better as a deeper role. Yeah, I do, because he's got plenty of legs on him. He's only a young kid as well, and he can tackle, although he mistimes it. He's got three bookings already this season. He's only made four four starts, I think it is. Um, so he can tackle, but I'd, I like his legs from defensive midfield to attacking midfield, helping support. So, yeah, I think Jack Clark will be ideal just in front of the uh, the back, or part of the middle four, if you will. So do you think Mandeville will be on his summer re-sign list? On the back of that, um, I don't know, but he's, he's one of 17, isn't he? Do, or does he see Joe Rowley as that, that role uh, who he's already signed up for next year? So then he's already got Whelan signed up for next year. I'm not sure, sure he'll, he sees Mandeville as the future, to be honest. And, and of course, through no fault of his own, Mandeville's on old pace structure, not yeah. new yeah. pace structure as well, which could work against him. He came from Doncaster, didn't he? And he was, he was highly thought of at Doncaster at the time he signed. So, yeah. and Stuart, behind whether it's one number 10, two number 10s, a number 10, a number eight, whatever it is, that defensive midfield sitting in front of the back three has performed in a way that we've not seen at Chesterfield since your Morsi and Ryan sort of days. And again, Martin Smith, after a slow start, seems to be growing into it. Weston is one of the first names on the, on, on the team sheet. So for the first time in an age, that seems to be a, a strength Chesterfield, not not a weakness, Stuart. It does, doesn't it? Yes, and um, we we certainly missed Weston. I thought at at Maidenhead when he was out suspended for that game. Um, Martin Smith has come in and done done well after a, a, a slowish start, I suppose. Um, has that sort of game where he just goes around and is efficient and does things, and you tend not to notice very much. Um, as you probably didn't with Jimmy Ryan stood next to Sam Morsey, perhaps. Um, well, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Jack Chris McCall, Heard, though, didn't we? <laughs> 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 yeah. Jack McCourt um, can also mm. play that sort of role, can't he? Although he does like to get forward um, and probably has a, 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 a more of a, a, a vision to him for, for passing. But we are strong there. Yeah, now, yes, and, Sorry, and Weston, of course, is is on a contract for next season as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's got that Hollywood pass in him, hasn't he? And, and I think when um, Weston missed that match at Maidenhead, I look back, I think I don't think Chesterfield had won the last 13 games he'd not started or something like that. So he's a pivotal player in the uh, in the system mm. and making the the system work. But one one thing, uh, Stuart, that's improved as much. Yeah, perhaps perhaps even more so than the central midfield is that back three, because oh. you know it, it's 
yeah, we've we've got balance. We've got left-footed players, right-footed players, attacking players, ball-carrying players, mixes. Yeah, cures cures a mix of everything really. Mm-hmm. I think the only issue with the back three now is uh, I'd struggle to see place in the side for Gunning and Hollis at the at the same time. It's a Gunning or Hollis, isn't it? And both of them have done terrific in that position when they've been in. I I think you're right. Unless I mean James Rowe likes Gunning, doesn't he? So. Pardon me, chances are he may try to accommodate him in midfield if he wants to keep Hollis in the team. Um, I don't think he's a sort of manager that would be afraid to make a hard decision and leave one or the other of them out. Um, but, you know, Hollis has come in and has just been absolutely Brazilian, hasn't he, really, in, in, you know, in the way that he's played. And Kerr just reminds me of a young Ian Brecken when he came in and played um, right back mainly. Um to begin with, and uh, Maguire just grows every game, you know, and looks absolutely comfortable now with what he does, you know. Whereas the start of the season and for two seasons before, it it was always kind of touch and go with him. I thought, you know, but but he just looks assured and you know, um, and is no longer the brother of Harry. I think it's the other way around now. <laughs> Bingo house. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, and, and Liam, you and I have been lucky enough to be able to physically see the the majority of matches, and you, you can just see, and more particularly hear, the confidence of Maguire over the last few few uh, uh, weeks. And he's absolutely earned that contract extension, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's admitted himself that he's probably playing the best football of his Chesterfield career. Um, James Rowe seems a lot of leadership qualities in him um, I think he's only missed one game this season which was Wilston away and that, obviously that was under John Pemberton so he's a, again like Curtis Weston one of the first names on the team sheet and he's got that extended contract now um, and I certainly see him as a permanent future Chesterfield captain and um He's captain the side twice and, and two wins so far, so uh, he's off to a good start. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very, very, very good uh, start. Uh, and I, I suspect going forward, not not this season, uh, I suspect there's probably a place in for, for Sharman. Now, James Rowe will be able to have a look at him in training. I don't think he's expecting him to, to come in this season, but I think there's a place for Sharman going forward. But the big question is, is there a place for Will Evans? Going forward, what was the maidenhead performances? Nadir and uh, you know, it, it, is the writing on the wall for uh, for Evans, Liam? It it looks like it's heading that way. Certainly, um, with the fact that Joseph Yarny's come onto the bench the last two matches, and and Rose comments after that maidenhead game where he said that he trusted the wrong players. Um, mm. And we haven't seen Will Evans since. Probably uh, suggests that we might have seen uh, the last of him. But we've probably thought that about a lot of players in this squad um, in the last couple of years. And, and today, Hayden Hollis has signed a new contract, and he was probably one of those players who we probably would have, most people might have thought we would have seen the back of as well not too long ago. So I certainly wouldn't rule it out completely. Um, there's still a lot of games to go. You know, if Kerr, who has had his injuries in the past, does 
get injured again. You know, could be an opportunity for, for Will Evans to come back in um, to, at least till the end of the season. But beyond that, then, yeah, there are a lot of question marks. You've got to assume, Daz, with 15 scheduled fixtures in two months, that yeah. there'll come a time when the squad depth is going to be severely tested. And, you know, whilst we're sort of saying it, it may be the end of the line for somebody, of course, it, it isn't because 15 games in two months indicates otherwise, doesn't it? Suspensions, injuries, out of form and everything along those lines. So Rose always pushed squad depth and I, I, and I think it'll be a real tester. It'll be a tester for 20-odd other teams in the division as well, mind. Yeah, I think that's a fair, fair comment. The the other thing with, the, um, with what you might call fringe players now is even if we're not going to offer them a contract and... and what is it, 14, 15 going to be out of contract? Something like that, yeah. Um, 17. 17, is it? Yeah, mm. I know some silly number. Um, I don't think there'll be many of those that haven't been offered a contract will now be offered a contract, is my personal belief. Um, so I think you can call the likes of Coddington finished, Buchanan finished, Yarny finished, I think Evans has burnt his bridges. But all these guys, um, you know, whoever, who else have we got on that list off the top of my head? Oh, well, I'll go through for you. It's uh, Luke Rawson, Will Evans, Tom Denton, Jonathan Smith, Jamie Sharman, Scott Bowden, Liam Mandeville, David Buchanan, Luke Coddington, Joseph Yarney, Jack McKay, Regan Hutchinson, Nathan Tyson, Milan Butterfield, Dylan Wharton, Grant Smith and Fraser Kerr. Okay, well, I think I think if Kerr proves his fitness, he'll, he'll get a contract. Um, of the goalkeeper's rest, got to get one, hasn't he? Surely. Mm. Who, who's that, Stu? Grant, Grant Smith. Smith. Yeah. yeah. Would have thought. Yeah. Uh, big Tom. I, I think Big Tom purely because you can't replicate him with anybody else. It, it gives you an option. I, I think Big Tom is a, de- a definite. I definitely agree. Yeah, he should get one straight away. Um. The other one is I, I have a good authority of goalkeepers coming from the southwest. All right, okay. Gloucestershire-ish. Oh, well. Sorry. <laughs> it, it may be, it may be in that area, Phil. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I just can't see many. <laughs> Quickly, have a look who's there. <laughs> I can't see many of the others. In all honesty. Um, getting a shout um, I think the core of players he's signed on 18 month contracts the ones he wants to keep he's already flagged up by giving them another year and I think he's just adding round that because um, if you look at the squad based on, on that let's park the, the ones we've just talked about that as futures are up in the air we haven't got another right sided defender uh, as, as was proved when Kerr went out, he brought Evans in, that didn't work, and then he's shuffling Yarny basically from oblivion back onto the bench. Um, Gunning can play the Maguire role, he can also play the Hollis role, um, but we haven't got anybody on that right hand side. I think Carline was probably the next in line to take that job, but then who have we got wide right? I do think. With holes in the squad, which you'll want to fill, and I don't think any of the ones that we've named there. Um, and I accept what you're saying about Denton; he's he's different to anything else 
I'm in the league in most cases to anything else. The rest of them, I don't think, I don't think they'll get a look in. I do think he'll try and sign Clark if Villa let him go, and I think it would appear that he's connected with this kid uh, mentally as well as everything else. So I think there's a good opportunity we might we might pick him up, uh, but I can't see many of the others. Maybe maybe Rawson and Sharp might Rawson, get another. Yeah. You know, they're cheap. They'll still be relatively cheap options, as you said, Phil. He'll be able to take a really good look at them pre-season. Um, but of the rest, I'm, I'm struggling to see how many are going to be re-signed. I really am. Yeah, because they're all on fresh blood. There's no question uh, uh, in there. I know he's brought 14 players in, so there's plenty uh, around. But everybody he's brought in seems to have improved the team, improved the squad. So he's, he's clearly got a record, and he's. He's bust that myth that we I know we've talked about on the podcast time and again, so we'll not go into it again. But he's bust that myth that the, that you you can get players from lower divisions. It's not all about they've got a good job and don't want to move. That's that's been well and truly bust. Uh, um, but you know how good a job can he do, Paul, when he's mm. got a pre-season with a with, with a squad? You know because the longest he's had any one time with everybody is about four days because. When he looks yeah. as though he's got to out, along came COVID and everybody's in isolation. So, you know, he's worked miracles with with no long time on uh, on the training pitch together. So what can he do in pre-season? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's something to look forward to, isn't it, really? I think and an intense period for it. Um, so next season's got a squad of so far of 12 and you, you said he's going to bring in a few. He's got uh, so much scope to work with, a different budget to work with as well, hasn't he? So... Um, I, I believe he's yet to make a decision over Adi Youssef um, because he's only on loan at the moment, isn't he? So, but there is yeah. a there is a, there's something in writing, isn't there, to say it's out there for a contract with him. But has he got to earn that? I don't know what the the deal is with him. Maybe maybe Liam can know a little bit more about that. But um, I, I'm not sure what uh, the situation is with with Youssef. But um, he's desperate to get an under 23s type squad in, isn't he? A sort of reserve type thing. So that might open the doors for your likes of Regan Hutchinson, who's not been mentioned at all, um, Rawson and Charman. So that might bring in even Dylan Wharton. It might get him another another year, you know, so uh, uh, to develop uh, and whatnot. But you know, he's he's got that preseason to work with. And you're right, he's got he should have he should schedule loads of games really, you know, to to work with because. Um, the, the fix has come out that's going to start in August, isn't it? Uh, it's just uh, a couple of weeks later on. Is it August? I think it is. Uh, August of 20, uh, 21, 22. Yeah. So he uh, should have an extended uh, time to, to work with them in, in pre-season this time, unlike what John Pemberton got, of course. I prefer August. Uh, uh, you mentioned there about Yusuf, Paul. Uh, Yusuf and Denengelium discuss... Yeah, it's um, they're they're yet to really get quite going yet for me. Um, Dinango's obviously not scored um, his first goal yet, but you can see that he does contribute a lot in terms of work rate and closing down. He's certainly played his part in some good wins, um, and obviously Yusef got his first goal against Barnet, which should hopefully settle him down. Um, and that was just his second start. So perhaps we shouldn't be too quick to judge them both just yet. But um, I think if he was to make a try and bring in 
play one more player between now and the end of the season. Uh, I know we've just potentially mentioned a goalkeeper, but I do have a feeling that he might still want maybe one more striker as we head towards the 15 cup finals, as he calls them, just to give um, a little bit of breathing space and maybe take the pressure off Asante a little bit as well, who's uh, got a few games without a goal. He's, he's due one soon. So, uh, yeah, I think we shouldn't be too quick to judge him just yet. But, yeah, may, maybe one more striker for me if he does want to bring in anyone else. Although he does keep saying that he is happy with the squad, but uh, we, we do know that he likes to keep his cards close to his chest. But, but just without going back to the two number tens debate, if Asante was to be out the side for any reason, there isn't any of the other strikers that you would fancy for a one up top, is there? No. It, it, for me personally, it would probably be Nathan Tyson, but given his injuries and his age, um, he's probably not someone who can certainly play three games a week. So at some point, he would have to be swapped for. A Yusuf or already Um but for me, yeah, maybe Luke, Luke Rawson, maybe potentially, yeah. He, he's um, we saw that he's certainly got some potential um, that we saw in the early parts of the season under John Pemberton. Although, I did speak to Ro about Luke Rawson uh, last week, and he did say that you potentially take a look at him in pre-season. So he didn't sound too convinced that he would have a look at him this season. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we'll be seeing him, unfortunately. And, and, and Luke Ross's mobility, Paul, m- means that with some good coaching and strength conditioning, he's a potential one-up one top player, isn't he? You know, he yeah. He, he's got that level of mobility combined with strength, which you know, Sandy's got in abundance at, 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 this, at this level. And others may have got pace and they may have got lungs, but they've not necessarily got all of the elements that Asante's got. I, I think potentially Rawson's the closest to a one-up top man that we've got other yeah. than Yeah, I think he, but he's got to look at, um, and I know he will have done, as a young kid, obviously, growing up, he'd have seen how Owen Doyle worked that one striker role, you know, just at dominating the outside of the box and getting in where it, uh, where it matters. And we saw that two goals that he scored against Woking. He was there at the right place at the right time, wasn't he, to slam the ball into the back of the net. So he knows... The how to put the, the and he's got a tremendous scoring rate. Did that for the youth team, didn't he uh, as well? So we know he's he's a, he can be a good striker. Now it's whether he can convince James Rowe that he is that man. So there's a carrot on the end of the stick there, isn't there for him? You know I've got something to prove here. My contract runs out in the in the summer. I've got something to prove here, and I'm sure he's trying to do that in training as well because he he loves the club, and I'm sure he doesn't want to move anywhere else. No, I, I absolutely bang on. I don't think you're far wrong with that at all. And, and Daryl, let's just go to the other end of the pitch and look at the, the, the defence, because the last match in midweek against Aldershot, um, the defence and the holding midfield and the goalkeeper when called upon, I, I wrote in my piece on the on the website, it got some John Duncan-esque feel about it, hadn't it? It was the score one goal and we're not going to let you score. And it, despite all of that possession Aldershot had in the second half, they rarely, rarely, rarely look dangerous. There was just that one effort that Maguire had to do on the line, wasn't there? And, and there were a lot of very positive traits about how you just nick a win going forward when what you need is wins. Yeah, I mean, we, we manned up physically second half for me on Tuesday. 
because I, I cannot remember the sheer volume of long balls we had to defend in one off since Wimbledon in the 80s. Um, it, it, God, there was no football played at all, was it, by, by all the um, But it's not easy to defend. They moved up the pitch 10 yards and they really had us hemmed in for a good 20, 25 minutes. But I never felt at any stage they were going to score a goal. And, and that says lots for Martin Smith and Weston, who I thought protected the back three brilliantly. The back three to a man were outstanding. And the goalkeeper just inspires confidence to me at the minute. Very yeah, it, it does appear to be the first since Tommy that looks as though he's a, he's a long-term possibility, doesn't he? And, uh, and, and the game before the Aldershot one, Stuart, Barnet. I'm sure rarely will you have seen a 2-0 away win that was as comfortable as uh, as that. And we can all say, yeah, Barnett have only won once in 3,000 games or whatever. But they were they were trying to impress Paul Fairclough, who clearly got them quite organised. They weren't they weren't dreadful, dreadful. But mm. the, the the level of that 2-0, you just felt if Barnett had a fluke one, that Chesterfield would have just gone up the other end and and, and regained re- the lead. It, it was total, 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 and utter domination. Paul Fairclough said. Afterwards. It was, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, we might have had one of the fastest goals in our history, mightn't we, at the start, if Yusuf had mm-hmm. uh, had got a, a shot straight. But you know, oh, by the time we actually, oh, sorry, from their kickoff, from their kickoff, yeah, that was yeah, goal. yeah. Well, that was Clark, wasn't it? <laughs> Getting stuck in and winning the ball and going forward with it. You know, that's what he does, and that's why we've got to try and sign him, or we've got to send him back to Villa and say. Don't let anybody else look at him, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, by the time Whelan um, opened the scoring in, what, 10th or 11th minute, we could have been four or five up, couldn't we, really? And and it was really comfortable. Um, and, and, you know, Barnet are Barnet at the moment, aren't they? And they're, they're really struggling um, to, to, you know, to sort of get somebody to manage them and put a team out, really. And, and when you're down at the bottom like that, and you know you're not going to move up very far, however many you win, and you know that you're not going to go down, you wonder what the kind of, you know, what gets you out of bed every Saturday to go and play a game of football. It's, you know... Um, but but the domination was there all the way through it, as you say. And, um, you know, we just looked a league above uh, Barnet and, and some of the other clubs that we've played that are down there. Um, hopefully by the end of the season, we might be. Uh, and I'm not going to mention that I perhaps was the only person on this podcast that absolutely didn't want Tim Flowers as manager. But, you know, that's, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to really make anything of that. At Get all. some stick on Facebook for that. Yeah, well, I had to defend my corner and say, "Not me, not me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, it, but it shows you, you know, Barnett under Tony Cleanthus, they, 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 he signed you know double figures amount of players, and it shows you, Liam, how important recruitment is. It's not just getting numbers through the door. We saw that with Gary Colwell when he first came in in that January, getting five players who weakened the squad rather than uh, added to it. And and if you've got the chance to go out and sign new players, you've got to get the right guys, Liam. Yeah, absolutely, you're spot on. Um, and, and to be fair, you look at all the signings which James Rowe has made and every single one has, has improved the squad. All right, we might not have seen too much yet in terms of goals from Yusef ending anger, but certainly the likes of Grant Smith and Goal, Carl, uh, Carl Lyne, Wheeler and Fante, 
he certainly picked out some gems, hasn't he? Which uh, makes you wonder what the uh, what the hell they were doing for the previous few years <laughs> when they were looking for some players. But yes, and and by all accounts, which James Rowe does say quite often, all on lower wages than what the club have previously been paying. So they've improved the squad and reduced the wage budget, which was part of his remit when he came in. So you can't ask for any more than that, really. And we hear uh, every week, Stuart, don't we, about big spending Chesterfield. You know, they've been splashing the cash. And the argument is they've been doing whatever the opposite of splashing the cash. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, Stockport have gone out and spent more money on one player the week before last, apparently, than I'm sure we have on everyone that, that James Rose brought in, you know. Um, but, I, I, you know, the, the, the sheer volume of the turnover, which was absolutely necessary, it is the thing that catches the eye, isn't it? You know, and then underpinning the, the, the sort of thought that we've got lots of money to throw about is the fact that we're furloughing players as well as signing them. And then we've just gone out and got this nearly million pound loan, which I'm sure everybody out in, 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 in social media land expect us to start spending on players now, you know. Um, well, yeah, it's extended the deadline. Sorry, as Liam says, it's been done the right way, hasn't it? You know, you, he, he had this brief to change the squad around, but make it less expensive, and he's gone and done it, and he's improved it as well. Which you know, uh, Daryl, you're 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 close with the uh, with the club. You know, the, the advantage that they must have coming from that trust background to be able to do the mundane task of filling out the forms in a way that maximizes the outcome that that counts for so much doesn't it because you know Boreham Wood or, I, I think have sort of applied and, and had it turned down Chester have applied and had it turned down sometimes it's just about knowing how to play the game isn't it well they've, they've been doing it a long time Phil haven't they um you know the likes of Pete and John and, and co um they know how to apply for grants and loans and how to get them, uh, and that that must have that must have played very heavily into the way we've completed applications and presented them. Because I know it's been an arduous process. I mean, spoke to Andy; they've had trillions of Zoom calls with Sport England and had to verify every single figure they put in the presentation. Um, so it, they've had a lot of hoops to jump through, but they've clearly done it. The other thing is, you know, a lot of the sides, I think, were asking for unrealistic amounts of money, bearing in mind what their uh, normal monthly spend was and did they have the ability to repay it. And that's the difference in mm -hmm. that we do with our supporter base and other streams of income have the ability to repay it. Uh, whereas lots of other sides, I think, don't. And I think they've many of them have thought, oh, this is the golden goose. We'll get the money. We'll apply for more than we need. Uh, and, and we'll worry about paying it back afterwards. Whereas we've done exactly the opposite. Mm. Uh, and, and that's obviously played into our our being successful. And, you know, it's, it's a hell of a job to get that through in the length of time they have. They were obviously right at the, the, the start of the queue. Uh, and they've stayed at the start of the queue because I can't remember many more being 
banded about as having been successful so far. Plenty have said they haven't been, but not many have said they have been. Mm. And, and, you know, whilst the press release that came out didn't outline the, the details, I think you'll be able to confirm it's a very, very low interest rate and there's a quite a long payment holiday before you actually have to start paying anything back as well. And, and there's lots of uh, uh, conditions in there for if you are going through difficult times in the next 10 years or so. Yeah, it's it's over a long period of time. There's a, a quite an extended, from what I can gather, uh, payment holiday before you even start making payments uh, back. Uh, and as you say, it is a, what you would call silly money to borrow under the circumstances. I mean, it was the last thing that the trust wanted to do was to have to borrow money. But neither did they envisage when they took over uh, and the club was in distress, obviously, a great deal of distress last August, that we would still be eight and nine months down the line playing matches, incurring costs and have zero income. Mm. You know, well, we'll see, we'll see where we are in 12 months' time, Stuart, won't yeah. we? <laughs> not, not that anybody... But uh, um, it, August, was it? it was refreshing <laughs> to me at the annual meeting the other week that um, the club was starting to talk about ambitious long-term projects, most notably the um, tra- a training complex, a proper training complex, and secondly, uh, uh, a 3G pitch, which they're hoping to, to get yeah. the, the light for sooner rather than later. And, you know, how refreshing was it uh, as shareholders, I think as many of us are here, uh, uh, to hear that count, kind of structural positiveness as well as on the park positive uh, feelings. Well, it, it, it it's as Daryl says, isn't it, that, that, you know, they will go about their business in a meticulous and understated way, you know, in the background, as they all have in their own businesses and in their own fields of work. Um, and... You know, I mean, how many times have we seen on, you know, on the back page of Derbyshire Times or something over the years, new training ground for town and all that. It must be four or five different times when the ideas cropped up since we sold Pitt Street. Um, but it, it it never seemed as close, you know, as you think it probably is now because of the people who are behind it and the people who will be, you know, finding it and building it and financing it. Um yeah, I mean, you know, it's got to come, hasn't it? You, you, you nowadays, if you're going to do anything as a football club, you can't be training on somebody else's training pitch. You can't be going up to Highfield School as we used to, and all that sort of thing. <laughs> um, you know, you, you've got to have that kind of professional setup that's going to go all the way back to, you know, the most backroom part of the club. Um, and I think with this board, I. I I think they will deliver it. You know, it won't be as instantaneous as it would be if perhaps we had some some millionaire or other running the thing. But we, you know, we had one of those for a few years, and how closer are we to a training ground? You know, uh, and many other millionaires who do run things, the training ground would probably belong to them. Uh, well, absolutely, yeah, probably have a the chip shop. They were supposed to have Stuart as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, um, I would miss that. <laughs> Chester's are building a new chip shop near Junction 29. Yeah. All, all those boats have sailed. Uh, and, but, but to follow on, Paul, from what Daryl had said, 
about about the Sport England grant, the one thing that, that, that Mike and Co all know is how to extract as many grants for, for a training facility because it'll be a community training facility. Yeah. It won't just be a training facility that lock the, de- lock the doors at 12 o'clock every day and, and, and they're open again at 10 o'clock the next morning. It'll be all about community. And with, with Mike's knowledge of local authorities, uh, uh, he'll know where to look for the most appropriate physical location because there aren't many big locations in the, in the borough. Let's just talk about the borough. Uh, to me, the only place that will have the right cost structure and the right spray, space availability is probably Old Stavely Works. And, and uh, the thing is, what, what all of those type of ground developments want is a capital. You know, uh, a, a, yeah. a, a ground somewhere like, I'm not saying like that, but somewhere like that would be a real good catalyst, wouldn't it, Paul? It would. I think, um, I wonder whether, he's got a, a blueprint to use in Staveley, hasn't he? Because they used the, the, the Football Foundation grants and everything to, yeah. to utilise their using the fudging and how useful it will be for them for, for, the, for their income as well. You know, they've been able to use it in the, uh, the recent times, you know, so even Chesterfield's youth team have, uh, have trained on there or the, the, the young programme that's uh, linked Chesterfield Football Club have used it. So, you know, they've only got to use that as a blueprint as to how, how it can be useful as income for the, the, the football club. And going on to grants as well that you can use. Yeah, again, again the, I'm sure he, he utilises and John Crute will know exactly what grants they can apply for, uh, etc., to to utilise um, that uh, community type of facility that's going to be separate to a training ground, you know, and that will provide a lot of, a lot of income. So, um, whether whether the Stavely Works site, I know you only threw that one as a as an example, would be too close to Stavely for it to be used as another one. I'm not I'm not too sure. I don't know because it being in Barrow Hill, I'm I'm not too sure. But I did seem to remember that Mike Mike mentioned or dropped in somewhere is looking north of Chesterfield, more towards sort of Drumfield. But there is a there's a 4G surface up there at Drumfield, isn't there as well? So well, it's I, I don't St. know. It's St George's yeah. at, um, at Drumfield. Well, not Drumfield, South Sheffield, isn't it? What, what what's yeah. it called? George's at wherever it is, isn't it? Yeah. Gosworth, isn't it? The old Gosworth. Yeah, there's there's one at Gosworth. Yeah, that it fills on about the one at yeah, it's it's, it's oh, St George's at the, the top of Me- Meadowhead, isn't it? Up that way, isn't it? Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. It's called it's called it might be just Sheffield St George's. I might be trying to complicate. Is it, it she, is it Sheaf or mm. something? Sheaf at St George's or something? I don't know. Something like that. But we are, that, well, yeah. and the youth team have played games there. I've been to watch the youth team play play organised. Uh, games there in, in in previous times, and they've got a grass pitch and they've got they've got artificial pitches uh, yeah. uh, as well. So I think the the proximity to to Stavely uh, Miners Welfare probably isn't sort of a, a big thing. But I was talking to a, a member of the council involved in planning the other day, who did confirm that the Stavely site is is sort of physically biggest site in the borough available uh, yeah. at the moment. So they'll be looking for an awful lot to. To, to fill that and, and of course you know the the, the 29a area has done pretty well over the last year or two and brought some some good things but, but that catalyst it, it happened it happened with bolton it happened with derby county you know build a, a football ground where there isn't much and things do do follow build build around it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. although although colchester have only managed to get a petrol station so far yeah, so. and mcdonald's yeah that's, that's about <laughs> it yeah. and, uh, and I think there's a crematorium next to Shrewsbury. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are exceptions. 
which I do think you turned into the crematorium on your sat nav, Paul. I seem to remember. Did, yes. One of that. the one of the one of the early sat navs that uh, I believe uh, there were <laughs> being developed. Um, it uh, decided to take me into a housing estate, which uh, also uh, at the end of it was a graveyard where it shows me <laughs> new ground was supposed to be, only it wasn't. Yeah, the, de- the dead centre of Shrewsbury, was it? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that off the field element, Liam, you know, you, you, you've had a, a, a year uh, with the previous regime, nearly a year with, with this regime. What, what, what differences are you noticing? What positive changes, what positive vibes are you noticing about the news that comes out there? Not only the way that the news comes out, but the actual physical news itself. I think it just shows that the club is definitely in the right hands, definitely in safe hands. Um, you know, talk of a training ground to me suggests that the, the trust want to leave behind a legacy for when um, eventually, you know, do move the club on. Now, I was reading a story this week about Huddersfield Town and, and their time in the Premier League and how nothing has, nothing has, has come about from it. They just went up to the Premier League, had two years and came straight back down and are now just a, a bang average championship side who, who are exactly where they were before they went up to the Premier League and got all those riches. So I think the trust are looking at the bigger picture. You know, things are going very well on the field, but they are looking, like I say, at the bigger picture and, and thinking about how can we really make a mark on this club? How can we leave behind something which is the benefit to everybody else at the club as well as the wider community. I think everyone can be uh, feel positive about that. And, and that, that riches of the Premier League, well, that's a long way away from, from Chesterfield. That's exactly what Burnley did. And they're a, a serious competitor, aren't they, in, uh, in the Premier League year after year. And you know they realise that if they do go down, unlike Sheffield United, that the, perhaps the person that got them up last time might be the best person to to lead them there this time. Mm. But, but you know, good job James Rowe uh, uh, does has signed an extended contract because get into the playoff zone and you're out of a job in the National League. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like, I like Liam's comment earlier where James had said, I think, to Mike that he was a bit worried about getting in there tomorrow in case, you know, it was a kiss of death or something. Um, <laughs> very strange goings on, aren't there, at the top of this league? But, you know, they, they're chasing... It's a bit like teams going from the championship into the Premier League. You're chasing riches. Um, I mean, the income, the income from television contracts and from the league sponsorship and everything at this level is nothing short of non-existent. Um, and I remember a story Andy Phantom told me not long after he'd been uh, down. At, at, at the guy from Harrogate had rung him up and said, Andy, I wonder if you can help me. I've just had a pound from the AFL and I don't know what it's for. And, uh, and Andy said, yeah, that's your, that's your first payment for the season or something. And um, the guy nearly fell off his chair, apparently. So, uh, you know, if we could get back in this time, um, and I think all the clubs down there, certainly the Knotts, if you look at the, the teams up there, there's a lot of them with football League experience, the Hartley Pools, not County Stockport, us. You know we're um, we're chasing that Holy Grail, aren't we? And if you can get back in um, with some momentum and some money, look what Lincoln did a, a few years ago. Mm. Uh, the sky's the limit, really. Um, 
it, it's vital. It's vital we push on on the pitch, and I'm sure James will do that. It's also vital that we push on off the pitch with training grounds and other things. I was speaking, interestingly, to Terry Ward, who we all know well was the original designer of the ground, uh, when I was down there the other day, and he was bemoaning the fact that they have so much work to do to get the ground back to a decent state. He said it's just been 10 years of neglect. Not a penny's been spent on it. There's been no sort of budget to look after the ground and the infrastructure and the surrounds ever since we moved in. And he said, you know, as the architect of the thing, it, it breaks his heart to see. But he said, yeah. rest assured, with the help of local businesses and the community and supporters, we will pull it round. He said, but it's 10 years of neglect trying to turn around. And that, that, that shows the difference, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, volunteers will come forward in the current regime and, and willingly play. And, yeah, we, we see on social media quite often that they've been chopping the trees or doing weeds or whatever. But, but all of that, all that type of stuff needs needs doing. And I'm sure, yeah, if they want to hose down, you know, pressure wash down the, the cladding, that they're more likely to have somebody lend them a cherry picker than would have been the case yeah. a, a wee while ago. You know, yeah. and all of that just makes a little difference, doesn't it? That, that you're not spending that bit of uh, money that, that you, you could do. And moving up, just the additional away fans would pay for two. Yeah. Mm. yeah that, that, as it sounds, you know, uh, um, you know, it's not the did you come in a taxi song quite so much. There are there are those, of course, but it's not quite uh, it's not quite as, as prevalent. But but Liam, how how refreshing. Is it for you to talk to a manager who's clearly positive, clearly has his aims, does keep things close to his chest, but will happily come out with a statement, as he did this morning in the press conference, that getting to the playoffs is useless if you don't win them? Yeah, absolutely. He's, uh, he's very articulate. You know, from a from a journalistic point of view, you can you, you can definitely bank on him to say something which you can hang a story on. He's, he's very he's refreshing. He's the way that he explains things is very clear, and I think it'll be interesting for the fans to hear some of the things that he says as well. Um, he's just been a, a a breath of fresh air, really. You can't argue against anything that he's he's done. Really, the results are there. The recruitment's good, and talk you know talk of you know the football league. Um, you know, I don't think there's much difference between the top half of, of the National League and, and the bottom half of, of League Two. I think Chesterfield could could go up, add maybe four or five, and and just go again. And we've seen teams before in the past go straight up from the National League and, and straight up again. And you know, obviously, don't want to put the gun too much, but it's certainly what you can bet. You can bet. You know, a good few quid that James Rowe has already got a list of players who he would sign immediately as soon as he gets into League Two, he gets into League One, and even the Championship, you can bet that already he's got a list of players. And uh, you know, he does like to uh, <laughs> praise one or two of the opposition players at the end of games, which is quite interesting. You know, always worth noting those down to see if they come. At do anything in the summer the transfer once it starts but yeah you can he's very forward thinking very ambitious and uh, like i say you can't really argue against anything that he's done so far 
Have you uh, been uh, making uh, a list, Liam? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he talks about squad and people and human being, teamwork and everything along those lines. But Paul, just how vital having somebody like George Foster alongside him has that been? You know, because the defence has been transformed since James Rowe came into the building, but the same day, George Foster came into the building as well, uh, a 600 uh, league game defender in his own right, and as tough uh, as they come on the park, and very enthusiastic and good at getting his point over off the park. How, how much of a difference has he made? I'm sure he makes, uh, well, James Rowe always gives him credit, doesn't he, for it. Uh, we had the, the, the Q&A earlier on in the, the season as well that he, he said he perhaps wouldn't uh, have come to Chessfield had George Foster not been available to come at the same time, you know. So that was one of the stipulations for him coming across. And one of the people that he looks up to is George Foster. Now, George Foster, very experienced defender, of course, with the, the old enemy and um, is just... Um, it's quite nice for him to uh, to say that he's parked Mansfield for the time being, hasn't it? Like so, uh, for the for, for the moment, and he's, he's took up a, a Chesterfield train. Um, it, you know, he, I mean, John Pan, John Pemberton was a defender of you know a, a big reputation, wasn't he? As well, he just it, sometimes it just takes a different bit of experience, doesn't it, uh, to to work with um, just something that they they can see. You know, a little bits of movement. Immediately they swapped uh, Will Evans to the right-hand side of defence and it worked wonders. Um, you know, it was that little bit of movement. Now Will Evans might not be the, the guy to do that. So they're looking to improve that little bit of a, a, a chink in the armour. But you certainly need somebody whose shoulder you can cry on um, at times, don't you? I mean, how many partnerships have Chesterfield had where there's two working to, together who didn't perhaps think so John Duncan and Kevin Randall for example they hadn't met each other I don't think had they until they, they came to Chesterfield but prior to that um, uh, Lee Richardson and Roy McFarland you know they, they necessarily worked together they worked quite well together in actual fact you know so um, yeah you, you, sometimes it's somebody you trust isn't it that, that uh, and someone's got experience who can see things that you can't quite uh, quite see as well and I think George Foster is certainly helping James Rowe in that way and he's alluded to that as well and you know what a difference is made with Hayden Hollis that you know this is yeah. a guy why on earth has he been re-signed the summer not getting a kick I played one game under Pemberton and then all of a sudden when he's left outside and Gunning comes in, everybody's saying, why on earth have you left him out? Yeah. Uh, Gunning really, really well, but of course picked up the injury, and it's a, well, why did he ever get left out in the first place? (laughs) It it is a, yeah, it's a strange one, that, Phil. I think, um, because Pemberton must have been party to this, that gave Hayden Hollis a contract (laughs) at the the start of the season, you know, so... uh, I'm not too sure. I don't know whether there was a little bit of a falling out. I don't, I don't really know the the side issue to that. So it is, it is a curious one as to why why it hasn't. Obviously, Hayden Hollis has improved as a footballer as he's got older, because prior to him coming to to Chesterfield, you speak to Notts County supporters and he played with them for a number of years. He always had a mistake in him. And that might just be a learning curve for him growing up, you know. So yeah. we saw him at Forest Green, didn't we, when he played against us, him and Gunning in yes. defence uh, there, and uh, which sealed Chesterfield's fate that day. Um, you know, and he's sort of a name that's always been banded about as coming to Chesterfield. I don't know why that is, but, you know, now he's going to be on a little bit of a long term, uh, you know, at least another 18 months. So that's that's good to see with the review at Christmas. So, no, he's, he's improved and he's helped the defence. Yeah. 
and he's still only 28, despite seeming of yeah. you know, for, for ages and, and looking more than 28 years of age when he's when he's out there. But in in his prime for a, a defender, and that's something uh, um, Stuart that Rowe talks about an awful lot. The the prime age, you know, he wants to make experience, but he actually wants the bulk to be 27 to 29 years old, knowing that's because of the style of play he wants, high tempo, high high kilometres per match. You know, that's the optimum, Stuart, isn't it? And so he's, he's surrounding himself with that age group. Mm. Well, he has, yes. Everybody, well, not everybody he's brought in. Clark, obviously, is a is a young player. And Dinanga's only a couple of years older than Clark. Um, but you've got people like Carline, um, 1993. You've got Yusuf, born 1992. Um, Kerr, born 1993 again. So they're all in that sort of 26, 27, 28 sort of age um which is players at their prime i think we said on an earlier podcast that you know we were all hoping he'd go out and sign these young and hungry players we well, signed hungry ones but they're not young you know they're, they're they're in a position where they've got 100 200 games behind them um and they you know and they still have the the the, the fitness to be able to put that experience into practice and it, it, it's just worked ever so well uh, and Whilst I'm sure Paul Lemon on the scouting side, Liam, will play his part and go and look look for players and look at how, how opposition teams play, you do get the uh, impression that, that James Rowe's got a little bit of Brentford in him about the stats, doesn't he? The, yeah. you know, I, I've never known a, a manager come out immediately after a match and say it's the first time we've gone over 500 passes in it. <laughs> you know, those, those of us who are football supporters wouldn't normally have a clue about <laughs> not in the National League anyway but you do get it that he will use that Y-Scout methodology duels won, accurate passes blah 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 as very much a part of his recruitment strategy yeah absolutely I think that's probably where himself, George Foster and Paul Lennon work quite quite well together in that James is uh, a young and up and coming coach who is quite used to relying on stats to assess how a performance went. You've got George, who will probably prefer to see it with his own eyes. And, and, and probably Paul, as well, sits somewhere in the middle where he's, he's out and about looking at players, but he's also um, used to looking at stats and seeing if that backs up what he's watching. Um, and, and just on the sort of recruitment uh, topic, while we're on it, I spoke to uh, James Rowe this morning at, at the press conference, and, he, and I asked him how soon did he realise that he needed to make the number of signings that he has? Uh, and he said, before he'd even the interview room, he said that really? he was <laughs> analysing, you know, putting together his presentation for the interview, he said he, he knew that he would have to rip up the squad because it hadn't worked. And it hadn't yeah. just worked for one manager. There was three or four who it had worked for. So he knew straight away that he had to go in there and, and tear it up, if you like. And, you know, I think at his first press conference, he said that he was going to give everybody a one-month great period. And I think half an hour later, they'd signed a quasi Asante, And two weeks later, they'd signed five or six. So uh, that great <laughs> period uh, just went straight out the window. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he said after his first game against Weymouth that, We've got some good players, but um, he's, he's certainly brought in some better ones. And, and, and as we've touched upon on 
Yeah, I think he's he's got a long list of, of players who who he would be ready to sign depending on what division uh, Chesterfield are in. And I think that will be one of the things that puts a break on re-signing players out of contract. Just that we are getting to the stage where okay, we could be in two different divisions, and that that may well make a difference. Might not make a difference because if if James Rose got that old Paul Mitchell. Uh, uh, the view that if you're a good player, you're a good player, regardless of who or where or what level you're playing at. Uh, but it will make a difference, perhaps on on pound notes in some instances and everything along those lines. I'm, I'm sure contracts are now more sensible in terms of dealing with step ups and step down uh, uh, in, in general <clears throat> than they were. And, and I'm going to ask each of you what single biggest difference, positive difference. You think James Rose made since he came in the in, in the uh, into the club? And I'm not just talking about oh he's got two points a game out of 18 matches. What what trait do you think it is that he's uh, he's brought that had that instant effect? Because it, this isn't a gradual effect; it was instant. And it's been maintained now for quite a long period of time. So who shall I pick on first to go with that? I think I'll pick on Daryl. Because uh, Liam, uh, earlier on, before we started recording, thought he... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm still basking in the glory. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's an identity. I, I think we know now, as a supporter base, as will every team that we play, what they're up against. Um, in that we are, we will compete if it's a battle. We will outrun teams. We will press teams all over the pitch. We will be intense for 90 minutes. And on the few, odd few occasions we've dropped below those standards is when we've struggled. But, you know, out of the games we've talked about, it has been an unbelievable transformation. And to me, identity. I know what a James Rowe team looks like. I know what it will try and do. I know within certain parameters, how it will perform. And to me, that's that's the one thing I can pin my sort of pin my hat on. That's a good, good, good start. To, uh, because the four defeats, you can look at Solihull and you can look at Sutton and think, well, the team re- really, they were disappointed in results, but they did, the team didn't fall below standards. It's only really Maidenhead and Stockport yeah. that, uh, uh, that they have, which out of 18 league games, and there's a couple of cup games in as well, um, that's only happened twice. That's not unheard of in the National League, but teams are in the National League because they've got players who are that good or that bad, whichever yeah. way you'll... Yeah. Paul, you, you, what, what do you think that James Rose brought to the club? Uh, what modernisation, I think. Uh, something that, uh, you know, he's looked on at the training ground, says uh, there's, a, there's a, a situation here where we can improve our, our training uh, situation by getting, uh, you know, uh, the fans to help buy uh, equipment, you know, to help out uh, with the training. Um, there's a need for that. Uh, he's looked at it at one particular stage, and he says that we, uh, you know, we need we need to be able to look at uh, training from a different angle. And he and he's done that. I think that uh, you know, he's all the talk of a, a training ground from the the board is uh, music to the ears of James Rowe. I'm sure because you'll see that as modernisation as well going forward. Um, I know his his football speak is a bit out of my league. I don't, I'm not too sure what he uh, what he means half the time, but it's um, 
again i'll put that down to modernization as well so and just a sort of fresh belief about it you know as well he he believes in the players in his squad you know uh uh, as well you know some of some have been have obviously been sidelined and everything but at least they know about it so uh you know it's that it's that kind of respect so yeah modernization i think that's what that's what he's done I, i i think when he refers to playing on the island He's talking about his, his latter playing days playing for Canby Island. I always, that's, that's <laughs> Maybe. I, <laughs> by, by yeah. So, Stuart, your, your views on what he brought. There's a, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a thoroughness, I think, and a focus to what he does. Um, a meticulousness without necessarily having all the bad traits of being a perfectionist. Um, but I think right from the word go, uh, everything that we did was suddenly more focused on on match days and on going out and winning matches um we seemed to be drifting for gosh <laughs> you could probably go back to um when danny wilson left the club um yeah. you know since then um but uh, he, he, as I say, he just he's just come in, focused everybody on the job. I think he prepares teams tremendously well for each individual match, um, and it is a thoroughness on the whole um, in 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 the way that he approaches his work and does it that impresses me. Uh, and, and of course, yeah, you know, I, I, I popped on my column on the website this week that the the, the last two away matches at Aldershot and Barnet within four days of each other, you have to go back to the 2010-11 uh, championship team to find the last two away wins in four days with, with two clean sheets. It, it mm. just doesn't happen very often, and it only happens with good teams. And mm. he's turned round a ranked bad team into a very, very, very good team. But the only team that's got more points per game this season than he's achieved is, is the other league leaders, Sutton United. And uh, you know, we may talk about those in a while. Uh, Liam, what, what do you think that, that James Rose brought to the club? I think the main thing for me is he's just brought a winning mentality. He was he was used to winning games at Gloucester, and he's just brought that confidence, that stardust, and he's just carried it on in into his into his time at Chesterfield. He's uh, he's a very uh, confident. That man and it comes across in the way that his uh, team play and, and obviously linked to that is, is what we've already talked about is his recruitment you know good good managers rely on on good players and and he's he signed good players mm-hmm. so we've got identity modernization focus winning mentality not bad traits and i chuck in uh, for my two panels worth community as well because he absolutely gets that side yeah. as, as, as well you know I've, I've had uh, um, a myriad of supporters who who fall out of love with the with the club who who get him for those reasons that the, the four of you have just said but also his approach towards the community uh, because we've had winning managers that don't get the community uh, uh, you know the people are perfectly happy with but they don't get the community whereas you know I, I had somebody contact contact me I've, I've, I've told this story before uh, uh, and passed on a bottle of wine to give to him. You know, who on earth would have done that with most of our managers in in, in the last the last few uh, the few years, whether they're winning or not winning. You know, it's talk, talking with people like like Keith and Pete at the Trust. You know, it's absolutely no problem 
getting people in the diary for the community activities that they're doing. And very often, uh, uh, additional volunteers will come up and say, oh, I'd like to do that as well. You know, the, player, the players are doing that. So, you know, it, it's... And in Curtis Weston, they've found that... I know they've called him the community champion, but he really is that. It's not just the name to, to tickle him under the chin and make him feel good. He really is that. He, he, he is the, 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 the Aaron Downs the Richie Humphreys characters that we've had in the past that, that understand and want the community thing to do really, really, really well. And again, Weston's one of those players who, who on earth would have re-signed him not long ago. But now, as, as soon as it goes out, the social media is saying, great, fantastic, great, fantastic, as it was today with, with Hollis. You know, yeah. It shows that transformation. So, yeah, we, we've got five traits there, one each, unprepared. But it took us no time to think of it because the guys made that much difference. Mm-hmm. So where can Chesterfield end up this season? Uh, I, I, I know Liam put something out on the media a, a week or so ago and, and somebody was saying, say, oh, he's the top, let's go for the top position. But And I responded to whoever it was that made that comment, sort of saying, yeah, well, OK, if we were second and that far behind Sutton, you might make it. But Sutton and Hartlepool and Torquay and whoever, uh, and not, they're not all going to blow it. You know, they're not. That just doesn't happen. So it looks as though Sutton are going to just continue their, their way forward. They, they just seem to have got a, a nice little... But where, where can Chesterfield finish? What can they achieve this season, though? Because it was, it was refreshing that as soon as James Rowe came in, literally the week you and I had talked to people at the club and they both said, he's not giving up on this season. And that no. was when Chesterfield were in the bottom three or four or whatever it was under the dotted line at the time. Yeah, we, we did we did shake our heads and, and grin, didn't we? Um, who's laughing now? Is this? Um, I think we'll finish fourth. I'm going to be bold. I think we'll finish fourth. I think we've got... I'd, as deep a squad as anybody in the division, um, probably more so in most cases. We're on a roll, and I think if we just tiny little bit of luck with injuries, I think we'll finish fourth, and I think we'll go up. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I'm inclined to agree with Daryl. I think we'll finish fourth you know i can see torquay falling away i can see sutton obviously um stockport probably not finishing above us um i i think we're going to get competition from maidenhead funnily enough because they're in a similar sort of position to us in terms of points and games in hand um once you get in the playoffs of course it's it's anybody's game isn't it um will we have the the depth um and the sort of emotional strength to uh, to get through that, I don't know. But we'll be properly prepared for it all, um, certainly. Uh, but I, yeah, there's going to be post-season involvement for us. Um, and as James Rowe says, there's no point in 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 going along unless you're going to win the things. So so we're going to be, you know, properly prepared for it all. So as good a chance as anybody. Sorry, Paul. Yeah, that's all right. Um, I think we'll finish. Um... I think we'll finish in the top seven. I hope so, anyway, because the backed us uh, short odds really at the start of the season. So I'm hoping that uh, and that's uh, that's coming. I always do anyway. But uh, but yeah, of course that will help. If you do finish either in the top six places, it means you have to play off, don't you, and, and whatnot. So if you finish seventh, you've uh, got an away tie 
in the uh, one-off game that you play, then you go through to the semi-finals against the side who played second and third and blah, 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 which is, I think it's a really good idea the National League have done uh, mm. to sort of open it up to a lot of teams so that your season isn't over, you know? So you've always got that opportunity. And obviously, Chesterfield would be grateful for that, even if they do finish seventh, you know? So it's a good idea from the the one National League idea I think that I actually agree with that they uh, they did when they opened it up as well. Just on a, just on a side note, James Rowe's win percentage since he took over is 55% in his first 20 games, including cup competitions. Obviously, that goes down as draws, but... Um, I can't remember a manager who has that amount of win at the start of his Chesterfield managerial career. I, I, I'd have to obviously have a look back, but I mean, not in. I don't think it's in my lifetime. I don't know. No, well, well the, the, the first, I, I did an analysis on the first fifteen games, and he fell a point short of um, Nicky Law and Frank Barlow on fifteen games. Uh, right. to three a game. They got 31 points from their first 15. He got 30. Uh, um, so, you know, there, there, there's... Uh, and you'd argue that Nicky Law was the closest to James Rowe because he picked up at the back end of the previous relegation season. Yeah. And trans- transformed it in the summer. So it's been a very similar start to, to Nicky Law, whereas Frank Barlow picked a team, picked up a team that was on the up. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. Castle. So, uh, uh, but but a, the, you know, I, I think the the National League um, playoff situation where it gives advantage teams that finish higher up in the league. I like that. And, yeah. And of course, they're all one-off matches this year. There's no there's no two-leg affairs. They're all one-off matches. So four four plays seven, five plays six, with four and five at home, and then the winners of those are away at two and three. Yeah. So. Uh, um, you know, it's 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 very good to finish the further up that you go. But of course, the disadvantage for that is if you finish second and third, is you then have a, a fortnight without a game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 whereas if you if you finish sixth, you know, sixth, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, you play the week after the season, and then the week, and then whoever's in the final the week after. And just in case people don't realise, this year's final isn't at Wembley. It's uh, it, no. it's not because it's a lot later and, uh, and Phil the worst thing is as well is you're nipping into June then aren't you with the playoffs because yes. the season finished on the 29th of May yes uh, already yeah. clubs are starting to build for next season and whatnot and you're still playing the end of back end of yeah. this season so yes yeah, so the, there is the, a the disadvantage play- to it the playoffs of the, the first three weekends in in June so four five six seven play the first week the winners of those two play two and three the second week and the final is the third weekend in June. I don't think a day, physical day has necessarily been set. And and, and I don't think a ground's been set, but I, I, no. the, the most I've heard is that it might be um, uh, Leicester City's ground is, is, I think, amongst the most likely to stage the, uh, the final, but we'll have to wait and see. Liam, where do you think uh, uh, um, that, that Roe can finish the season? I, I think that they'll definitely finish in the playoffs. And I think that they could still grab the third place spot and, and advance straight through to the uh, to the semi-finals of the playoffs. There's a, a key point of the season where they've got three home games followed by three away games. So if they can put themselves in a good position after those three home games and then pick up 
maybe six points from those three away, then I think they could nick third. But I think those six games are going to be pivotal as to how high they do eventually finish. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. I, I think the playoffs are, are, are a certainty, uh, as near as you can get on certainties. Um, I, 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 I wouldn't want to finish seventh or sixth. Uh, um, you know, if, if we finish outside second or third, yeah, I'd want to be fourth or fifth. So you get mm. that home, home advantage. Um, because by that time, there might be supporters allowed in the ground. And if there are, it's unlikely that there'll be away supporters. So, uh, um, yeah, I think there will be an advantage with being at uh, home. If supporters aren't allowed in, I, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't mind so much. Yeah, I don't think it'd, uh, uh, it'd make too much difference. But, uh, uh, and I, I think that extra determination that Rowe has got, and I'm sure all other managers have got it as well, I, I, I haven't had a bet, and I don't normally have a bet. But if I did have a bet, I'd have a bet, a bet on promotion. Uh, um, you know, Sutton are a very, very good side. Would I want to watch them every week? Possibly not. Will they win a lot of football matches? Absolutely. Are Hartlepool, Torquay, Stockport, Notts County, Bromley beatable? Yeah, they are. Very much so. Are they as good as Chesterfield as of this moment in time? No, I don't think they are. Paddy Madden's gone to Stockport. Will he make a difference? Yeah, I think he'll make a big difference. I think he'll upset the dressing room. I think when you've got a player who is reputedly on three and a half grand a week in a, uh, a, a team that were part-time last season, uh, I don't think that's a sensible thing for, for mm. Stockport to have done. Personally, um, you know, he might prove me wrong because he's a good player. But he's moved there for one reason, and that's not to further his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, uh, we'll see. Anyway, to, to end up, we've got a match against Weymouth, where it all starts with James Rowe. Um, well, we've got five predictions to come on uh, score lines this week, so I'll write them down. We, we never, Liam, we never, ever, ever get anything right. <laughs> well, welcome uh, to my world. <laughs> uh, so, Paul, prediction tomorrow. Tomorrow, I think it'll be a comfortable 3 0 victory. Comfortable 3 0. So, yeah. so the word comfortable, if somebody else says 3 0, it might be a tough 3 <laughs> 0. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. I thought I'd add a caveat to mine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stuart? Uh, well, I was going to say 3 0 as well. Um, shall I say 3 1 or 4 0? 4 0. 4 0. Go on. 4 0. Yeah. Okay. Um, Daryl? Daryl's muted at the minute. Why is he muted? Oh, Daryl's muted. Have you muted yourself? You've muted yourself. It's always good. So we'll have. Uncle Daryl's muted. Ah, oh, there he is. I say Stuart's, Stuart's forced me into madness then. I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go 5 1. It's a good job we haven't got eight or nine people on this podcast. We'd be 12 nil up by half time. Five five, one, so a bold prediction. Not the five, but the first match in ten, both teams will score. Exactly. A bold prediction. Liam? I'll go for a comfortable 2 nil. As comfortable as Barnet? No, I think Weymouth are better than them. From what I saw down there, they were uh, not a bad little team. Well, the big wheelstone four nil last uh, last week, didn't they? Uh, but but yeah, that was the first win for two or three uh, games. So I, I, I'm going. I'll I'll go for a three one, of which uh, their one comes when we're two nil up. <laughs> so um, anybody got anything else to add, or uh, do we want to wrap that up and let Paul do all his magic and stick it on the Spotify's of this world? 
Um, I don't think I've got anything else to. Oh, I'm really looking forward to uh, Good Friday actually game against Easley where I can actually uh, watch a game with my father. I can sit uh, quite close to him, social distancing of course, but we can sit and have it on the big screen and watch it together for once for the first time yeah. in about 18 months. So that'll be a, that'll be a nice yeah. treat. Well, well I, I'm not, it's not absolutely been confirmed, but I I think that uh, BBC Radio, local radio may well be allowing their uh, reporters to go to away matches uh, uh, from that. So uh, I'm hoping to be physically there. It's my daughter's birthday last season when we uh, we played there. We won 2-0 and my granddaughter was mascot, but they'll not be there. But uh, hopefully I'll be uh, uh, I'll be there. Anything else to add? Anybody else? Stuart, Daryl, Liam? Just well, thanks, for, thanks for inviting me on. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, no problem. Yeah, no thank problem. you very much for coming, Liam. We might not invite you again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and a little bit like Paul said at the end of the last po- podcast as well, I- I'll uh, big up the legend of the Spy podcast. I uh, I had to drive down to Essex the other day and I listened to about uh, uh, four or five of the episodes on Legend of the Spy. Uh, David Reeves and Dwayne Mattis, so I thought was terrific because he's not somebody yeah. you normally hear. Uh, Alan O'Hare is the latest one which I've not had a chance to uh, listen to yet but uh, really 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 very good some great great stories on there uh, some good ones about Norton Lee <laughs> 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 uh, um, a, a real good listen so uh, you know go for it they, they all last about an hour and a half or so so it's a it's a nice little listen when you're sitting in the garden as the weather uh, uh, coming good and don't forget to change your clocks so, uh, so from all of us at the Sky is Blue podcast, that's me, Phil Tilly, Stuart Bass and Daryl Carpenter, our very special guest, Liam Northcliffe. We'll see you next time around. Enjoy the next few games. And if you like this podcast, then don't forget to subscribe. Please rate and review us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts and many of your favourite podcast providers.